You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank has been swamped at work, which is very unfortunate. I was swamped at the Las Vegas Summer League for the last week as well, so we did not get a chance to get together at all in the last week and record this podcast, so... Deepest apologies to you guys. Uh, sorry, uh, we we need to do better than that. Uh, but we just different timelines and different time zones, and uh, it just did not end up working out for the last week. So um, I guess what we'll do tonight without Frank is just try to go through uh, where everything is with the Bucks. Um, you know things that have occurred and and kind of where we are at this moment and. Uh, we can start with where things are officially and that is every move that we thought was going to happen uh has been officially announced by the bucks except the nasa satetokounmpo that move has not been announced yet uh that has not been made official um i'm not 100 percent sure what the timeline will be on that uh and I mean, I guess it wouldn't be because of any other suitors. It would likely just be because they're trying to get through FIBA and any restrictions or I guess maybe some weird things that you need to do or different things that you need to do uh, when you're negotiating with a player uh, from overseas that, you know, has a contract there. So I would guess that's going to kind of be what the Bucks are working through. Don't really know when that will become official, but but everything else is official. And we got a few more uh a few more bits of information on that uh today actually just looking at what is going on with Wesley Matthews uh Mike Scotto of the Athletic uh talking about that the the deal is actually a two year veteran minimum deal um that's a it's a spot where there's a player option for the second year uh and we'll i mean we'll kind of have to see what that looks like but um i mean if things go well i would guess he he opts out if things don't go so well i guess he opts in uh but we'll have to kind of see what happens there but wesley matthews two years instead of um two years instead of one year there um then everything else is pretty much official and everything else is is kind of moving along as we would have guessed this off season i i guess some of the other things that you know we do end up needing to talk about
I guess we can kind of go with my conversation with Malcolm Brogdon at Summer League. And uh, to me, that w- it, was, it was kind of telling. And again, it was, a, it was only a short conversation with him. It was legitimately, you know, just a, a couple minutes as he was walking one way, I was walking another, uh, and we got a chance to chat. But I just thought, you know, there was some interesting stuff in our conversation and you know he's you know i kind of asked you know what the whole process was like and how it felt and he mentioned that it was stressful not knowing where you're going to go not knowing who was going to come to the table and drive the price up but for me it worked out i went from one great team to another i'm really excited to be with the pacers and you know as as all of this unfolded there was I I think it was just kind of among fans that there wasn't really anything that drove it outside of fandom. Um, but Bucks fans started to believe that, you know, there was Malcolm didn't want to be in Milwaukee. And the reason he didn't want to be in Milwaukee was the city of Milwaukee. And it, that uh, storyline slash narrative, whatever you want to call it, I think sort of got out of hand and, in talking with Malcolm, I thought it was it was pretty clear that, you know, getting a, a certain amount of money was going to be a big deal uh, in, in getting that. And I guess more than anything, what comes what kind of comes along with getting a big contract is, you know, respect, appreciation. People understand that, you know, you're a player at a certain level and you deserve a certain amount of respect. And that was, uh, I think, something that Malcolm was after this offseason. And, you know, obviously a four-year, $85 million deal with the Pacers does that. I think also being a little bit higher in the pecking order with the Pacers does that as opposed to, you know, with the Bucks, if he does come back there, he is maybe the fourth or fifth option, as we talked about, or, uh, you know, some nights the number two option, sometimes fifth. Uh but with the Pacers, that was going to be a bit more regular, uh, that he would be in, you know, a little bit higher up, that he'd be second in that spot or maybe third or, or wherever it may be. But he would he would be higher up in the pecking order. And certainly with the Pacers, that'll be the case uh, with Victor Oladipo out at the start of the year, that he'll have a good chance to, to really be in a good spot there. And then I thought the other thing that was really interesting and it it wasn't something that really Malcolm ever talked about. It, it was something that I think in some ways caught me by surprise. And, and again, I think when you have a 60-win team and everything is going so well, I just think people are going to understand that they don't, they shouldn't rock the boat. They shouldn't be out here complaining about their role or playing time or shots or anything like that. And to Malcolm Brogdon's credit, he didn't do that. He, he didn't complain. He didn't make a scene. And then when I talked to him, you know, he mentioned, well, I shouldn't even say before, when I talked to him, the day before I talked to him, he was at the, his introductory press, press conference for the Pacers. He talked about his be- best position being point guard. And, you know, maybe that doesn't necessarily mean having the ball in his hands at all times, but that does when he, where he feels that's where he feels he's best. And I just kind of heard it. And 
I think in many ways was was surprised because he's played very little point guard in his NBA career. That's not to say he hasn't played any. He did play some point guard in year one, and obviously there were times where it was Malcolm with a group of bench guys in in some of those units. He also was, uh, in many ways, the point guard of of those. of those bench units and you know it it never struck me as something that Malcolm would say this is why I'm making a decision or this is something that I want to do and you know so I asked him about it and he told me I definitely wanted to do it more and do it is play point guard uh, so I definitely wanted to play point guard more but what I realized when Bledsoe got there is that it worked for me. And what that second it means is, you know, playing off ball, playing shooting guard, playing off the ball. It worked for me. It worked for my teammates. And I wanted to win at the end of the day. So that's what was good for me. And, you know, I just thought it was, it was so interesting because going into this off season, you know, there was some talk that point guard was something that he wanted to do more of. I know Zach Harper, uh, my colleague at The Athletic, wrote a little bit about that in his free agency preview, but that wasn't something Malcolm really expressed throughout the regular season. That wasn't something that he expressed uh, as he was wrapping up his end-of-the-season exit interview. It just didn't really ever come up, and it was just kind of surprising to me to hear that be such a high desire. And and I think in many ways, very high on his list. And I think you put all those things together and I think you can see why maybe he would have wanted out of Milwaukee. And all of those things have very little to do with the city of Milwaukee being segregated or whatever people were thinking was what he was talking about when, uh, they heard that he didn't want to be in Milwaukee. I don't think it had anything to do with the city. And obviously Malcolm has talked about those problems before and doing what he can in the community. And I'm sure with Indiana, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to try to do what he can in the community. But to me, the city of Milwaukee was was not the reason he was thinking, let me, let me get out of here. Let me, I need to be out of Milwaukee. To me, it was really, you know, I want to play point guard. It was very clear with the with the Bledsoe extension that he could never do that in Milwaukee, uh, that he would never be prioritized in that way at point guard. So if he wanted to play point, he was going to have to go somewhere else. And then, you know, I think there was also just wanting to be appreciated. And obviously you see that with contracts. You see that with the role that he was looking for. Uh, with the Pacers, like you just see a bunch of things that all kind of add up to, okay, you could see from his perspective why Milwaukee would not be that attractive. And I, I think the big thing to recognize here is, as always, he didn't have a choice. You you can want all of those things, but at the end of the day, the Bucks could have gone out and said, sorry. We're going to match everything. You're going to be back with us next year. You're going to be playing off ball. And we're going to do it. We, we're giving you this contract. It shows you how much we appreciate your work. And they could have also said, hey, we'll do what we can to, to make it even easier for you, make, make you feel even better, like you play an even bigger role on this team. Like You could work on all those things, 
match whatever offer sheet and bring it back and that would have required the bucks to go to the luxury tax they opted not to do so and and that's really you know that that's how i framed this entire offseason that's how frank and i talked about this on this podcast that's how i wrote about this at the athletic wisconsin as we talked through all of these things that's what this is right like we're legitimately just thinking about whether or not they're going to pay the luxury tax ultimately they decided they didn't want to and that was their choice they they made that choice and and that's kind of what all of this comes down to so I think it's interesting to see that, you know, maybe Malcolm did want out and, you know, it did appear through our conversation that there was a number of reasons why he did, but also for the Bucks, it didn't matter. If they wanted him back, they could have had him back and they just, they just didn't do so. And what I also learned in that conversation with him was, uh, you know, I kind of brought up the idea that, you know, what did it mean to you to have your team kind of work through this and make it so that there wasn't an offer sheet, there wasn't, uh, you know, six to eight days where this all was was going to be just kind of, the, the money was going to be tied up and, and it was going to be a big, long process. Uh, and he said he was extremely grateful to Mark Lazary. I think he was the key in all this, sort of putting it together, signing off on the deal, and really allowing the Pacers to acquire me. And, you know, I, I think that's an important detail. Uh, obviously, from the other perspective, we heard Brian Windhorst talk about Herb Simon and, and what a gentleman he was throughout all of this and the fact that he really, you know, helped the Pacers push this across the finish line. And, you know, <laughs> I think it's all kind of, it's all kind of interesting because, uh, you know, winners write history. And, you know, for the Pacers, they get Malcolm Brogdon. So uh, they can frame it as Herb Simon is a gentleman who didn't want to go out there and have an offer sheet out there. While, you know, from the Bucks' perspective, you would probably frame it as the Pacers didn't need to match anything. Or, or excuse me, didn't need to give up anything. They could have sent an offer sheet out there, and they could put an offer sheet so high that they knew that the Bucks wouldn't match it, and they could have done that. And they didn't. They probably saved. I have no. I don't know what the number would be. That was too high. Four for eighty-five seems pretty high. Uh, but they could have gone even further. They could have gone four for ninety. They could have gone four for ninety-five. Four for one hundred. That wherever that number was, they could have done that and not given up a first round pick and two second round picks. So, uh, as, as the Pacers would frame it in that way that I was, uh, that it was Herb Simon, you know, I think in many ways the Bucks could frame it the other way that it was Mark Lazar that was able to go out and make this deal. Um, which is, is one way to frame it, but the other way is also, it was Mark Lazary who decided that the Bucks weren't going to pay the luxury tax from Malcolm Brogdon. And I do think that's, that's the big thing that, you know, this offseason, you can go round and round on, but ultimately the Bucks didn't pay the luxury tax. And the the Bucks and their ownership group or John Horst through their ownership group can continue to say, when the time comes, we are going to pay the luxury tax. 
this was the first opportunity they had to do so that that i think was a real legitimate uh you know championship caliber team this is the first time they had a championship caliber team and could have paid the luxury tax uh and they opted not to do so they decided against it which to me means okay can you do it in the future can you do it a, a different time does saying no one time totally eliminate the possibility of uh, of a trade of of any you, you know of you know when you sign Giannis to his supermax next summer of going into the luxury tax no it does not disqualify them from that but when the bucks did have a chance to do so they decided against it and at this point you have to believe that the bucks aren't willing to pay the luxury tax and maybe that's just a this year thing. Maybe they will in the future. But right now, it appears that the Bucks are afraid of luxury tax. And there's, to me, obviously you can talk about Malcolm Brogdon's injury history. You can talk about uh, the problem with his foot. Uh, you can talk about the problem with his other good foot that ended up having a plantar fascia tear this year. You can talk about his advanced age. You can talk about this being his, you know, first real payday. You can, you can talk about all of those things, which is fine. And uh, I think the organization, if they, if they so choose, will certainly use that uh, as a way to deflect from not paying the luxury tax and deciding against that. But at the end of the day, they decide not to pay the luxury tax. And, and that's to me what, we're going to keep seeing uh, kind of from this offseason and, and kind of how I think most people are going to have to frame this offseason. So um, I, I think that's that's kind of where I'll leave things on Malcolm Brogdon. And, uh, you know, we can we can just kind of roll from there. Let's move on to Summer League. I, I don't know how to, I, obviously year after year I've talked about how little I think summer league basketball means. Uh, I've talked about, you know, how, how poor of a product I think it can often be. Um, so, you know, I, I talk about all those things and then obviously summer league happens and, you know, you see a couple examples of a player doing this or that. And, you know, you just kind of think through all of that and, you know, you want to have takes, you want to have opinions and I, like, I get it. Like I, I try to keep myself from doing that. Um, but I, I find myself doing it as well. So, um, I guess this is, this is kind of what you're, you're looking at with the Bucks in summer league this year. I think, um, a lot of Bucks fans were very intrigued, uh, by Dalton Hamas. And I think a bunch of people were really intrigued by Fletcher McGee. And I, I, you know, I was someone who was watching Wofford, watching Fletcher McGee, and thinking, "Man, this dude can really shoot it. He he looks he looks really fun and interesting." Uh, you know, during the tournament, you're thinking about him kind of just going off against a team and possibly helping that Wofford team really make you know a, a really cool run. His final college game, I think he's like one of sixteen from the field, uh, just missing everything. And obviously that's not the way you want to, you want to end your season. And he was one of the most prolific three point shooters in NCAA history. So uh, obviously you shouldn't take that one game sample, but 
I think what you saw in summer league with McGee was that uh, it's a little bit easier to get open in, in college. It, it's a little bit easier to shake free in all those other things you you know, we always talk about dribble, pass, shoot, being able to make plays off of a closeout, all those things. Well, we didn't really see a ton of that with Fletcher McGee. Uh, I think you just saw that, you know, some of the limitations that put him at Wofford in the first place uh, kind of came up again as he played NBA competition. And again, it's just NBA summer league competition, but it's NBA competition nonetheless. And I think you saw in many ways him struggle to get shots off. You saw him struggle to get open. And I think that may be somewhat indicative of how he he tries to – or he may struggle to find a spot in the league. And I think it will be really interesting to keep an eye on. Um, Dalton Hamas. I thought you saw an ability from him at six foot eight with a little bit of shake, uh, the handle that he has, some of the step-back jumpers that he created. You know, I think someone that can kind of create his own shot, which I think is is somewhat interesting. Um, I don't know if you're going to love that the shot is often step-back jumpers and and all that, but I think you're seeing a degree of difficulty uh, from a guy that played Division Two basketball, Division Two player of the year. Um, I think there was some times where you saw him play and you thought, okay, that athleticism will will work at the next level. That ability to create your own shot will work at the next level. Um, I think you saw some of that. I think you also saw him struggle quite a bit defensively. And I'm curious with McGee and then also with Hamas, I wonder if either of them end up being two-way guys for the Bucks. Uh, I think Hamas, you know, might have a little bit more potential there. I think he might be able to... Uh, you know, just with his size, with his athleticism, that might make a little bit more sense uh, for the Bucks. But I don't know with Fletch McGee if that that same thing, you know, if he feels confident about that same thing. But I do also, I mean, I think both of them could be intriguing two-way guys because when you look at this Bucks team, elite shooting is something that matters. And if those two guys could do that, then you're in uh, an interesting spot. And again, maybe they're not perfect fits. Maybe they're not quick enough defensively. They're not strong enough. All of those things may be true, but I think that still makes them somewhat interesting uh, for the Bucks as two-way guys. Other that, other than that, on the roster, uh, I mean, like I think, I, like a guy like Jock Landell is probably not someone that's really going to work with the Bucks, um, but had an interesting summer league. And then I think the only other things that are kind of interesting, you know, maybe Elijah Bryan, obviously we've seen Xavier Munford uh, have a chance with the herd before. Maybe those are both guys that you think could be helpful for the herd um, and, and do some of the, the things that you need where you're, having a point guard that can get you into things and, and kind of make all that work. So maybe those those guys are interesting as well. But, you know, I, I think that's about it on that Bucks roster. And then I think the the thing that you end up coming back to is DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown uh, just not having great summer leagues. Uh, Sterling Brown really struggled to make shots, struggled to make 
layups, struggled to make jumpers, uh, just had a really poor shooting performance. And, you know, I think it's it's kind of disappointing to see, especially considering that as you were trying to figure out where Sterling Brown fits in, you know, as I put a depth chart together, I think about him starting at the end of the season. I think about him starting in the first round of the playoffs against the Pistons. I think about, you know, him kind of coming on late. Ultimately, it fallen apart. Uh, you know, he picked up some injuries in that Celtics series and then, you know, kind of fell out of favor. But that was end of the season stuff. That was playoff time where he was really coming on strong. And, you know, I think there was at least some hope that he could carry that momentum into this season. There was some hope uh, that, you know, he could have a really great summer league, look like a guy that should not be there, um, and prove that, you know, a third-year guy, I'm way better than this. Let's see how good I am. Let me show you all of this and, you know, show you that I, I don't I, – I shouldn't be here. And I'm – so good and so much better than this that you know I should be competing for his starting spot as a shooting guard and I don't think we saw that <laughs> I think pretty clearly we didn't see that um, and ultimately other things matter leadership and you know being able to create for other people like all those things do matter but he just didn't have a good summer league he didn't have a summer league where he was really just out there dominating and that's that's ultimately not a great sign. It, 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 this is this doesn't doom him as I've said many times before. Summer league basketball is not a great indicator for guys that you ultimately want to be role players as they try to be the best player on the team. But the guys in their third year that can do that, that can dominate in that way, you know, maybe you can project them to be able to do more. Do, you can project them to be even better than you thought uh, going forward. So. Uh, not a great summer league for for Sterling Brown. DJ Wilson missed the first two games of summer league for the Bucks. Uh, played in the third and the fourth, and struggled with his shot as well. Um, you know, talking with some people, I think you could see that they had him working on shooting with a little bit more arc, um, where you're going to see a little bit more lift. You're not going to see as flat of a shot. Uh, as he had last season. And, you know, I think that's that's kind of interesting that, that they decided to make that change. And I, I'm not sure, you know, how it'll work. I'm not sure if it if he'll still be able to be, a, if it'll be a better three-point shooter, if it'll be a worse three-point shooter. But, you know, that was something that we saw. Uh, so if you watch that shot a little bit, a little bit more arc on it, um, and that was something that it sounded like the coaching staff was working with him on. So we'll see how that works out. But I, I thought defensively he showed all of the things that made him so exciting to Bucks fans last year. Um, just in that gym in Vegas, you could hear him talking all over the place. Uh, you could hear his voice loud and clear and everything that they did defensively. And, you know, that part is nice. You just hoped for more offensively. Um, third year guy, you're hoping that again, 
you see a third-year guy dominate, that'll make you feel a little bit better about what they can do going forward and, you know, what they can do um, more than just be a role guy. So uh, I thought disappointing summer leagues from both of those guys, but, uh, you know, we will we'll see where we kind of go from here. But I think ultimately it just kind of took the sales out of anyone, you know, really wanting to – have a great time with this Bucks team in summer league. Uh, anyone that was, you know, really hoping to watch them, enjoy them. Uh, I think all of those things kind of made it tough to do. The fact that on that roster there wasn't a ton of guys that you're thinking might be in play for the Bucks uh, as two ways or uh, you know as roster candidates, and then on top of that you didn't have a first round pick. And then on top of that, you have a couple third-year guys that are really struggling, and ultimately you have a summer league that isn't all that exciting, didn't feel all that, uh, I think, fun, and I don't think there was a ton of excitement for it. So ultimately kind of a boring summer league, but it's over, and now the offseason has kind of officially started. I want to talk about the Giannis MVP celebration, but I would prefer to do it with Frank. So... I think I'm going to save that for tomorrow. I think we'll we'll hopefully get Frank on. Um, I, I know he's swamped. Hopefully we can do that. If not, I'll do it. My, I'll just have the conversation uh, by myself. But I do want to kind of get his thoughts on that and kind of what that looked like from afar. I know what it looked like there. Uh, you know, kind of standing there and and seeing it all unfold in front of me. So we'll do all of that tomorrow. But for today, that is going to be all. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked On Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.